Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, episode number 135. My name is Adrian Hobart. My name is Rebecca Collins. And together, we not only present this show, but also run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Crime. Mysteries. Suspense. And thrillers. Welcome to the show. Our guest this week is Tony Mott who joins us from Parashov in Romania. Not Hollywood. No, she is a Romanian crime author with several books out in Romanian, but has just had her first first of one of her series translated but, into English. It's actually interesting. It's the second of the series that's been mm. translated. Yeah. But it's the first of for her, if you know what I mean. Absolutely, yes. Mm. Deadly Autumn Har- Harvest is the name of the book. Uh, and she's doing the seasons in reverse order. So naturally it would have been... The winter one. I think it's summer coming out next, isn't yeah, exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Anyway, well, it's um, it's a fascinating interview. I mean, there's a whole area of Romania. Well, Romania's a bit of a mystery to me anyway, but found out a lot about the place. Yes, you even straight after the interview, you were Googling um, well, flights I was to Absolutely, Brashoff. trying to figure out how to get to Brashoff, which is in Transylvania. And I've I got a friend, Clyde, who um, up in Glasgow, who is Romanian mad. He's married to a Romanian now, and he's also um, uh, a priest in the Romanian Orthodox Church. He's Scottish, uh, but for years and years and years was going to Transylvania and saying how beautiful it was. And it's got sort of such a sort of negative connotations with Dracula and all that malarkey. Well, you say that. I don't think it's entirely negative. I think there's a, a sense of romance. Yes, but I don't think we know, knew a lot prior to the, the uh, fall of the communist regime of Nikolai Ceausescu. Well, it's a bit like Korea, isn't it? North Korea. Mm. There's, there's a, a sort of, in our, in my head anyway, I have this sort of very dark idea of what it's like in North Korea, but maybe it's a beautiful landscape. I don't uh, it, know. It, it, or... it, well, I've got a friend who has been to North Korea um, to cover football, and he said it was anything but a nice landscape, and he was escorted everywhere by you know the secret police and all this sort of thing, and it, it is truly um, a, a very rugged landscape, but, but impoverished to a level that it's very hard to comprehend. Well, yes, but the landscape wouldn't be impoverished, would it? It is, yes. It's, it's, denuded. it's not, 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 not attractive. The natural landscape. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fine. So anyway, well, there we go. <laughs> so before we talk to Tony, we traditionally talk news. And I thought we'd start, or we both did actually, we were discussing this on a day trip up to Manchester yesterday, whether we should just talk about Michael Parkinson. So Michael Parkinson, first of all, and 
in many ways, that passing of an era where interviews, particularly his ones that he conducted from 1971 onwards in, on, in, on the BBC, those early ones were in-depth, proper conversations, mm. as opposed to what chat shows have now become, yeah. which is, you know, you're here to plug a book. So we were talking about this, weren't we, the difference between a chat show and a talk show. Yes. And I think that, you know, he's developed this reputation for getting people who were rarely seen in a TV studio to come and talk and then gave them an opportunity to talk properly. It was fascinating. And actually, I had, I, I, I kind of picked up from watching the tribute program uh, that they ran on the day he died on BBC One, just how much of an influence his style of interviewing has been on, well, to some extent, both of us, when you when we talk to authors, we're embarking on a conversation as opposed to a formal interview with loads of questions worked out beforehand. Yeah, and I hadn't really made the connection, but I remember watching his show as a uh, child and, a, you know, when I was younger anyway, and I hadn't thought about that. But actually, yeah, there, there's definitely an influence there. Mm. I mean, I... I this is a you know it's an, I, I I never met him. I mean, obviously he was working at Television Centre uh, on and off in periods when I was there. Um, I never saw him. He but, didn't buy chips next to him ever. No, I didn't. No, um, but I I do know his son, one of his sons anyway, Andrew, uh, who worked for one of the agencies providing pictures to my department. So we used to rub shoulders quite a bit, um, and. You know, I, I just know that he was extremely proud of what his father achieved mm. in his career. I mean, he did make some snafus with certain interviews went wrong. But that's the risk you take, isn't it? When mm. you're being that honest and open and turning into a conversation, you, well, you mean, do it, risk it, that. It's fairly toe-curling, that interview with a young Helen Mirren in the 70s, where he's talking about her accoutrements. Yeah, but a different era as well. You've got to... Yeah, no, totally, totally different era. Um, and in many ways reminds us of you know to of the gen you know we were watching television in that period where this sort of thing was going on and it's kind of it's the formative years of what we're exposed to culturally mm. and why it is so difficult i think for younger people to understand that's where we're coming from um and you know there's sort of zero tolerance that's now around i mean if you know that will be toe-curlingly embarrassing if modern young audience is watching that and going how the heck did that go out on the well, BBC that would, that would never happen now that would just no. never happen and what I found interesting was a later they showed a clip of a later interview um, between him and Helen Mirren they were discussing the previous mm. one and although she was offended on one level she was also amused mm. so there was sort of a you know she was she was sort of um, having her revenge on him in a way by bringing up again even and even then he said, "Yeah, but I wasn't very happy with you either." Yes. Um, yeah. But anyway, I mean, you know, it was, yeah, one of those. Um, we all have moments in our lives where. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, nobody's perfect, you know. No, these things happen, and and if you're if you're going to be authentic, you take the risk that your authenticity is misinterpreted by mm. somebody. So the thing that made me really upset about the whole thing was. Watching Dickie Bird, who you've not really encountered before, who was a legendary cricket umpire through the 70s, 80s, and uh, I think he'd retired in the 90s. Um, Yorkshireman from Barnsley, played at the same cricket club as Michael Parkinson in the same team. And he is a as Yorkshire as they come. Mm. And a really genuine bloke. And he's 90 now. 
and he just you know Michael Parkinson passes away at 88 and and the upset that he felt losing another friend um he's always been completely wearing his heart on his sleeve mm. kind of character but I have enormous affection for Dickie Bird what a character he is and has been in the game of cricket is but that his name, Dickie Bird? It's Harold Bird, but everyone knew him as Dickie. Oh. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, he was he was a good player as well. Um, yeah, that that really choked me up a bit. Well, it was. I mean, even me. I mean, you know, he he broke down, didn't he? Mm. He struggled to get to stop the emotion affecting what he was trying. Well, to Well, I mean, so. he does. He does. He, he, as he as he's got older, he's cried quite often. I mean, someone only has to mention he got an MBE for his services to cricket, and he he cries about that. Oh, he's like me then. Yeah, no, he's, he's kindred <laughs> spirits. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, uh, we, we marked the passing. And I think what a wonderful forum it was for great authors to appear as well and talk about their work in, in a, a, you know, not just celebrities, but, you know, people, great thinkers were, were featured on his show. Yeah, I mean, like you say, nowadays, it tends, there's a formula for somebody who's just written a book, they appear on a chat show. There's a formula to it, isn't there? I mean, you know, they're just basically plugging the book and it's all sort of been pre-decided what they're going to say. Well, it's very, it's not very often it's actually a proper author. It's going to be someone who's had their book ghostwritten for them. Yeah, oh, even worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, we, we, we move on. So um, in terms of publishing news, we wanted to look at uh, a couple of stories. Um, here's a... I mean, I mean, you might accuse us of attracting the same sort of stories every week. But I do think it's important when you see something like one of the major publishers um, reporting losses, mm. that is quite a big deal. And it's HarperCollins. Mm-hmm. And um, they've seen a 9% drop in sales and a 45% drop in profits this year. Uh, which is pretty monumental. That is quite big, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and they said that uh, all aspects of their business have slowed down, but ebook sales, particularly, have been very difficult. Do they attribute this to anything in particular? Uh, well, not the usual living, stuff. <laughs> cost of living crisis, and also the profit element is down to the cost of production. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, but, but they're talking expected, darkly yeah. about lots of job cuts within the organisation across the world. Yeah, well, I'm afraid that's. I think that's. Um, not exclusive to them. But so what? Yeah, sorry, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Super Thursday, which will is bearing down upon us quicker than we think. It's October the twelfth, Thursday, mean, October the third. Yeah, October might feel like a long time from now, but it isn't really. No, it isn't. It isn't. And Super Thursday, as you'll know if you listen to this show regularly, is the industry's annual heaviest publication day, and this year. 1,286 new books will come out on that Thursday alone on the 12th of October. Gosh. Wow. Uh, big names include a new t- cookery title from Mary Berry. Mm-hmm. A Christmas-themed story from Jacqueline Wilson by way of Enid Blyton. What do you mean by way of Enid Blyton? In the style of Enid Blyton oh, by see. Jacqueline Wilson. <laughs> and a string of memoirs, including oh, one what from surprise. Dawn French, The Twat Files. I beg your pardon? The Twat Files, apparently, <laughs> is what that's called. Um, other big names, uh, Martina Cole. Yes. Bringing out a new books, Zadie Smith. Oh, right, OK. Zadie and Smith. a celebrity biography from Peter Kay. Oh, joy. <laughs> He's the sort of guy you, you see in the charity shops. In it, <laughs> the oh, totally. celebrity shelves. There's always Peter Kay. He's one of the... Oh, yeah, he's one of the regulars in the, in the, in the charity shops, <laughs> for sure. 
Um, now, here's an, within this article in the bookseller, there is an interesting element of uh, of detail here. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, there is that's um, during the period between the first of September and the end of the year, the big five. Sorry, the big four, rather, are collectively set to publish 998 hardbacks. Right. And that's a 7% drop on 2022, and that's 15% down on 2019. And it's the first time that number has dipped below four figures in 10 years. Well, there's only two below four figures, but okay. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you know, I think that, that, that <laughs> kind telling, of... That's telling, yeah. That telling. is fairly t- telling. Um, and also, this is about the, the overall number of books published... Uh, generally speaking, in the last 10 years, between 185,000 and 215,000 titles have been published each year in the UK book production market. Okay. But it dropped to an 11 year low in 2021 with 167,000 books released. And in 2022, it dropped to 153,000. So there is really a big squeeze on in terms of numbers of books released. Mm. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's some interesting trends there. And that is even during the years of the, um, the pandemic where sales were supposed to have been so good. Well, yes, but I don't think they published as many during... No, that's true. Because um, they they saved a lot of the bit, didn't they? Because mm. they knew that publishing, as usual, was Having said pointless. that, it yes. just goes to show how difficult it is to make an impact in a market where 167,000 books are being published. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I, I was um, filling out a questionnaire for a friend of ours about indie publishing. And I was saying, you know, we can shout as loud as we possibly can from the bottom of our lungs about a book we're excited about. But can we be heard in the noise? Not always. No, <laughs> no, it's 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 very difficult. It is very difficult. So shall we get to the interview? We should. We should. Tony Mott is a Romanian crime author. And what is so fascinating about this story, particularly the in the beginning part of the interview, is just imagine that the only books in English you can get or uh, translations you can get are historic crime novels because uh, they're seen as safe and not promoting Western values. Yeah, so contemporary novels at the time. Were um, very hard to get hold of and were passed around in a sort of uh, underground black market style way. Well, it was scarcity as well, wasn't it? Totally, so. totally. But she fell in love with, with crime writing. Mm. And uh, eventually, of course, the Ceausescu re- regime collapsed and almost immediately there was a flood of Western titles available when it was sort of a golden period. But uh, that passion has carried on. Tony's uh, been over in the UK recently at uh, Newcastle Noir talking about uh, her first book, translated into English, Deadly Autumn Harvest. Yes, which only just came out, so... So we spoke to uh, Tony from her office in the beautiful city of Brasov. I love how you say that. Well, this is a first for us, isn't it, Rebecca, to be speaking to an author in Romania. I know, you're our first Romanian podcast guest. <laughs> so, Tony Mott, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to for me to be here and talk to you. And uh, I want to say hi to all your audience. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure that we will have a very nice conversation. <laughs> I hope so. But then don't forget please, the rap. Please, please be free to ask anything. Ah, I will answer. Ah, ah there you say that. Well, there you are. So yeah, I was just going to mention the, the random question uh, coming up 
towards the end of the interview and and Rebecca will come up with something that's just completely different believe me is it yes <laughs> but first of all let's just establish um you know more about you really um and you were mentioning that you're in Brashov in the center of Brashov at the moment for people who aren't familiar with 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 the city what's it like um it's one of the um i think it's the the fourth big city in romania but there are a lot saying that it's the most beautiful town in romania for me especially it is because i'm born here raised here and i also live here there are uh, only short uh, period of time when i was not uh, living here and uh, it's quite surrounded by mountains it's um it was uh, it's a mixture of uh, uh german architecture and uh because there are a lot of german established here in the medieval uh period and uh it's uh um it's not very big even the city center because uh it was only um how can i say it was more a merchant town by then but it's uh it's very nice. the The houses are, are very um, uh, colored, um, are uh, refurbished in the city center. We have a a very nice square, um, and uh, we all love our town. That that's that's very true. I want to go there. I have I have a question. It's a little bit random. What's the what's uh, food is Brashnev famous for? Has it got a famous dish? Um, there are several and we also have a, a influence like everybody here in the Balkans from the Turkish cuisine. And we do have uh, this uh, sarmale, which is cabbage rolls with uh, minced meat. They are excellent and uh, they are served with uh, mamaliga, which is polenta. They that are very, very nice. good. Ah, that does yes. sound, we're going. That's it, next holiday. And <laughs> I'm really waiting for you, really, really. Uh, uh, there is uh, There are a lot of beautiful places also uh, in the very near of Rashov. I mean, we have the Brand Castle right mm. here at half an hour. So it's the, yeah, uh, pretended to be Dracula's castle. <laughs> <laughs> yes of course so you're yeah, in well, people expect that don't they <laughs> well it, i mean if you are in transylvania and the carpathians yeah kind of comes with the territory <laughs> i mean like, it's funny because over here in the uk uh, and you were up in the northeast not so long ago in newcastle um of course whitby is not far from there and that is the traditional home for bram stoker and 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 for dracula as a story mm. So uh, I don't know if it's twinned with Brashoff or not. It should, it should be. be twinned. You know, like how towns are twinned with each other. It, it should be. We have to. We have to arrange this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it sounds yeah. idyllic. So I wonder why, Tony, you've decided to uh, write about serial killers. Yes, in this <laughs> lovely place. <laughs> I, I was always. I mean always interested about how the 
the mind, our brain is working. And, uh, you know, we are also good people and bad people. And my interest goes also on the bad, bad people, of course. And uh, there is another reason because after reading fairy tales, because I have an older brother, um, he is with 13 years older than me. Uh, my my next lecture was uh, uh, crime fiction. So after fairy tales, directly to crime fiction, it was it was my actually my main interest in literature to challenge myself and my readers. And of course, if you write about uh, criminals, uh, at some point you write also about serial killers. Yeah, that's true. They come together, don't they? <laughs> Criminals. <laughs> well, I, I I don't know. I mean, so you you were reading crime fiction and getting into crime fiction. Was that in in translation or or, or in English itself? I'm sorry. <laughs> it Exploded. was in translation. It it was in translation, of course, because but that by that time I was only reading in Romanian language. Right, right. And so, I mean, what sort of authors were available to you? Uh, by that time, and I mean about the uh, 1980s, uh, there were most of the famous, like, I don't know, uh, Chandler, Agatha Christie, uh, Dashiell Hammett. Uh, those was, were my, my first, my first uh, authors that I read. Um, maybe not the 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 very uh, new ones because by then we were in a under the communist regime, and uh, the book were quite severe censored. So mm-hmm. they were not they were struggling not to uh, show to the people that the life is nice and good in the Western countries. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's remarkable. I mean, you can imagine Agatha Christie, you know, in her locked room mysteries, country houses, Orient Express. Um, you know, a lot of her crime was set with people with money. Yeah. Um, I mean, even so that for me, I want... <laughs> so that can't be easy to achieve. I mean, it must have been very strange reading books like that uh, with, with those references <laughs> taken out. I mean, with the with the authors already published long ago, they were already history. So we were allowed to read about history, but not about modern times and things like that. Right. So Gosh. about the past, they were not that censored, of course. No. Yeah, because they kind no. of become fairy tale like, don't they? Once they're in history. So, I mean, you think about Agatha Christie, I mean, and also you know that that's not what life is like at that current time. No, true. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, and I'm I'm going to diverse here, a little, diverge a little bit in that, you know, you read Agatha Christie and other books where they, some of it was edited and, and, and censored. And now modern audiences are demanding <laughs> that Agatha Christie is edited to remove references to, you know, especially racial stereotypes. Yeah. So, 
I mean, how does it differ? I mean, that's that's my question, really. That's a, a, you know, wider, in, question. a wider question. But yeah. but at what stage after the fall of Ceausescu and the and the communist regime did contemporaneous books get translated without those edits? How how soon was that? Was it the nineteen nineties? Yes, immediately. Immediately. Ask <laughs> immediately. Yes. So you you yes. were spoilt for choice then. You had lots and lots of things to to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After that many years, when it was very hard to get uh, to get books, to get good books, for example, it was. I remember that it was in the last uh, uh, in the last uh, college year, and it was Shogun published, and it was quite a quite a struggle to um to get the book you had to know somebody at the bookshop in order to uh, get a get a book for yourself and or you have to to read it from somebody and afterwards after 1990s uh we had a lot of books and it was um that for me was the first sign of freedom right yeah, that yeah. must have felt amazing. Free to read anything. Mm. Yeah, because because by then we had to uh, we we photocopied books. Uh, we had to have these uh, networks where we we just passing books from one to to each other. Maybe some books published before the communist regime. It was very. It was very annoying. And actually, even that we didn't have a lot of things, we we lack a lot of things like food, like electricity, like dignity. And uh, for me, it was the freedom that I, the freedom to speak, the freedom to read, the freedom to, to join other people and have interesting conversation and so on. That was... That was the most, uh, I was very young, of course, uh, and I did not have to struggle for food like my parents. Mm. Um, but liberty, it was something that, um, yeah, it was only something that you could imagine. Yeah. Yeah, so f- freedom of the mind, I guess. Well, I, you know, it must have been, it must have been risky passing books between each other. Could be easily misinterpreted by... Um, the police uh, and the authorities as something more subversive. Uh, we didn't have that uh, that kind of submersive books. So maybe if you would have some propaganda books, some that would be risky, of course. But I, I was, I don't mean that. I, mm. I was mm. part of that risky uh, um, situations. Sure. By then. But- but it's about supply and demand, isn't it? You haven't got enough supply, but you've got the big demand. Everybody wanted to read books. <laughs> so, yeah. when when you, you know the you, you were able to uh, access a much wider list of authors, who were you drawn to? I have a crush. I must <laughs> go on. <laughs> I have a crush on Joan Esbo. <laughs> that's uh that's uh also because i've met him he came in brashov i know i think there are five years ago or something like this yes uh 
in a in a bookshop and i was invited to speak before him you know at as uh, at the rock concert the star is coming after somebody <laughs> singing before yeah i was the i was the the, the first uh, band singing the, like the warm up the, band the warm up band yes 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 and we had actually a discussion and interview it was very very interesting i've uh, read all his books and uh, uh, yeah he's still my crush <laughs> so that Scandinavian noir of which your is at the forefront um, must be very influential in your writing then yeah yeah that's true uh, I always had this um, uh, starting with my very first book which is not quite in the in the crime genre uh, I always had this um, how can I say this um, um uh, I've been always challenged to describe the situation and the characters as they are with the good parts and the bad parts also. So we are, all of us, we are doing uh, good things and bad things. And uh, I had this, uh, I was drawn in picturing the truth about the characters and uh also to to bring a social component in in my writing and yeah it it, it could be that i have this influence of the of the nordic noir very mm. very strong and i guess that one of the strengths of nordic noir that everyone um is drawn to is the depth of description of the location mm. and the the, the the beauty but also the brutality sometimes of the the mountains the forests um that sense uh, you know especially in winter and of course you've got that as well where you are yeah we got uh, i always say that we have which is not true but it's my sensation because i really love warm weather which is not the case because Brasov is quite in the mountain it's not very high so we have nice summers with 30 degrees but uh, not all the time and mm. I say that in Brasov there is a permanent winter which allows from time to time uh, some heat and some warm but that's my only my my poetic uh, my poetic uh, uh, vision. Okay, of, I understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I mean, it's the same in Norway, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, there's a um, you know months and months of darkness and cold, and then eternal sunshine yeah, and, yeah. and light um, for for a brief period. Yeah, I mean, it it is a strange sensation. So, you know what we're gathering from the way you describe it is that, you know, you're very attuned to your environment and it really influences the way that you think and you write. Uh, I think so. Actually, only this series I'm writing now and which Deadly Autumn Harvest is part of, uh, it's happening in Brasov. In the other novels I've published before, all of them have something happening here in Brasov but they are not they are not happening in Brasov all the time. But now in this uh, series, in Gigi Alexa series, 
uh, actually somehow brush off its uh, character in in this series. Oh, that's terrific. I mean, let's t- let's talk about your main character then, Gigi Alexa. Um, <laughs> and, and she's a cop. And th- um, I just wonder whether um, with Romanian police, there is still a legacy of their involvement in the regime of many, many years ago now. But um, is there a distrust of Romanian police that uh, that still exists? Um, Gigi Alexa is a forensic pathologist. And oh, she sorry, yes. Is, she is taking part in all the uh, police investigations because she has this... Um, this strange ability to understand fully the mind of the criminal. Mm. Actually, the way or the reason why uh, Gigi Alexa is taking part in this investigation is also that she has been seen by the head of the police and... He saw her as very smart, as very interesting, and actually she became his mistress. Oh. Ah, so it's a love and twist. <laughs> yes, yes. And because he is married, there were a lot of gossips because she was part in the in the investigations, and after they broke up, uh, she steals. Uh, she still uh, take part in the investigation, and uh, there is also a lot of a lot of gossip going on in the in the police. And uh, some of them are very competent, some of them are not. Some there are also situation, and you can see that in other in, in the other novels in the series that there are some corrupt cops. Yeah, um, well, that's pretty, well. We have them everywhere, don't that's we? That's <laughs> pretty. That's standard, isn't it? <laughs> Across the yeah. world, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. And but, uh, the question was if the people do have trust in the police, uh, they really do have more than after the communist regime. When in the beginning, the police was called militia <laughs> before. Mm. The, they change also the name, and uh, just afterwards, uh, it was a huge uh, mistrust in the police. But by the time uh, the situation got a little bit better, mm. um, yeah. And in terms of the, I was... sorry, I mean, I was going to move on to Gigi's skills as a forensic pathologist um now i mean it's it's it, it's this is a a, a really a condemnation of, of the way that my mind thinks because <laughs> here we are in i'm we're sitting in western europe and there's this still this sort of lingering feeling that um someone like romania and eastern europe will be perhaps a few years um behind modern forensic science uh compared to what we have here so is that something that she's working with or is she up to she's got everything that her western counterparts would have uh she's 
working with everything she has because she is not in the forensic department in the police department sure she is she is at the uh legal forensic medicine institute ah okay. so right. yeah she is uh actually the one who is doing the the necropsies the autopsy the necropsy the autopsy. yes the, the autopsies yeah the autopsies yes and um that's why she is not the the first in the first forensic team in the police coming at the at the uh, murder scene right uh, so you have seen a crime officers a separate to her yeah yes yes exactly exactly yes of course but there are challenges because of course if she wants for example an analysis of the microbiome she doesn't have this in brashov because I asked the, the guys in Brasov, and you could only do this in Bucharest. So yes. there are some challenges, of uh, course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, That's that... interesting. So did you have to do a lot of research then to find out the sort of differences? Uh, and... Yeah, she's, she's also doing some research. Uh, I'm doing a lot of research myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I have and... a lot of... I have a lot of friends, uh, 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 doctors, and uh, uh, I ask them all the time, hey, what's <laughs> uh, come to my mind? And uh, do you think it's possible? I want to kill somebody with this. <laughs> That's a good way to start a conversation. I'm, I'm thinking about killing someone. Can I just check it's going to work? Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you spotted a review of Deadly Autumn Harvest, uh, which said that, Tony had written a book which uh, dealt with lots of darkness, yes. but, but the beauty but still managed to make the place somewhere you want to go to. <laughs> I love yeah. that, and I think that's well. We've been talking about that a little bit, haven't we? How um, the place, the environment, the character of a place is important in a book, and you do want people to think, "Oh, that sounds like a lovely place," and even though they're reading about something dark that's happened there. Yeah, I I also um, received a lot of uh, messages from people uh, uh, living outside Romania. I know in Germany, uh, in United States, uh, and telling me that they have read and they had a wonderful uh, walk with me in the city. So <laughs> that was very nice. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great sort of um, positive feedback <laughs> yeah now you were picked up by Coralus books for this translation um how does it feel you know you've got your series of books um being translated it because it, we've talked about this quite a lot on the program recently with um Icelandic uh translations uh -huh. um but but I mean do you how do you feel as an author when you put it in the hands of someone else to interpret and bring your work into another language? I met Marina in uh, Marina Sofia, the translator of the book. I met her in Newcastle last year. Ah. And we we um, had a wonderful conversation and actually 
actually what's the risk <laughs> because uh i i i met her she made quite a, a a very good impression on me and uh i'm also a very trustful person and i said this is a, a huge opportunity for me because you know romania is a very small country in eastern europe and uh Okay, the people know where Romania is on the map, some of them, because we are very close to Ukraine. (laughs) (laughs) And and being translated is something very important for me. And um, I had total, total trust on Marina. And actually, we talk a lot on the first draft because she wanted to to bring some details the autumn being the second in the in the series actually and we talk a little bit and uh, it was a very very wonderful collaboration mm. yeah i mean it, you know it's uh, it's important that it's a collaboration it's important to have that trust isn't it it's very important that trust and actually uh it was very interesting reading me in English because it was like, mm, I'm reading a very good book. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sign, yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's a compliment to Marina and yeah. to yourself, isn't so it? She will be yeah. listening to this, I know. So well done, Marina. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Marina. And and so are there plans for a book, you know, second of your books to, to be translated? Is, is this an ongoing process now? Yeah, Marina said that she will do the summer, which is uh, actually because the the um, uh, seasons, the books are actually the seasons in reverse. So it's the winter, the autumn, the summer and the spring. And gotcha. now she she she's translating the summer. And I think that it might be published next year. Oh, good. <laughs> so are you going to come yeah. back for any more crime festivals? Yes, I will. <laughs> I will. I will. I do not know uh, right now, but uh, I hope that we will get some invitation and uh, definitely I will. Uh, it's such a pleasure because I, I the, the public, the audience, uh, there were... Uh, how can I say they were professionals uh, in reading <laughs> crime in uh, in uh, I don't know uh, in appreciating appreciating uh, uh, novels and also uh, a lot of them were eager to discover new places. Mm. Yeah. I, I think crime readers do like to travel in their minds. <laughs> yes. 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 So what about the wider crime writing scene in Romania itself? I mean, you're... Yeah, you're... do you have festivals? Yeah. <laughs> crime festivals? We do not have crime festivals, actually. we, uh, My editor, Bogdan Hrib, um is saying that we, uh, we, wish we should have one. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there are uh, there are not that many readers in in Romania, so uh, the the book market it's really struggling. Mm. Is it? Yeah, and um, I don't know. 
there are there are book festivals that's true and last year i get the uh pri the award for the best thriller for the summer congratulations <laughs> thank you thank you well it feels like there's an opportunity there in in, in, yeah. in a way i mean it, especially in a place like Barashov, would be the Maybe perfect location. Maybe you need a, a, a crime festival based there, yeah. But I'm trying to think of, would the bloody Barashov have a <laughs> ring to it? <laughs> it, it's, it, sounds very, it sounds very nice. Yeah, a bloody Barashov. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see it. I can see it now. Um, and in terms of the, you know, the other writers around you, I mean, have you got a, a community of crime writers within Barashov or within Transylvania that, that you can rub shoulders with and take inspiration Fair from. Notes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do have our uh, gang in uh, our publishing house. Oh, uh, Tonic Publishing House, uh, it's uh, well known about uh, this uh, crime fiction uh, uh, section. And uh, we, uh, I know, we go at some, some, book festivals together we like to recommend each other we uh, we are not that many so we support each other mm. sure. That's good. yeah yeah and uh i've seen that also in in uh, newcastle crime fiction writer are also very funny <laughs> and yes. very open and very i don't know they are uh, somehow more um yeah more funny than the others <laughs> i think you're right i think if you go is to a, a northern thing though, well no I th well there's partly that no i think i think you're right about crime fiction writers because you know if you go to a literary festival everyone takes it incredibly seriously you know it's all about the craft yeah. and the word and you know and, uh, and the muse and all that sort of thing and and they're very very and careful about what they say whereas well, they, they play... because because you're playing with death human frailty yeah. um you have to have a dark sense of you, humor to, to a degree actually. i think i think that really comes through i really think that uh you need humor in life because the life will punch you in your face several times and you must know that and uh, before the next punch you will get, uh, you better enjoy your life how it is. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Tony, we've, we've talked about your writing career, but outside of writing, tell us about, you know, your, the rest of your life. I mean, who's around you and, and what do you do? Do you have a cat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's another important question. Yeah. Uh, I have two cats. Oh, they are both uh, sphinx cats. Oh, wow. Very beautiful. So they are without fur. Wow. So only skin. Yes. And what, what um, are they called? I have to know. <laughs> yeah. The one it's called Daphne Yoda Frankenstein. <laughs> and actually uh, uh, Frankie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, she was the first. And actually, she is uh, she is very posh, and she is quite the queen of the house. Uh huh. And, yeah. yeah. And uh, another one, uh, he's 
simply Lars, <laughs> but he's very annoying and uh, he doesn't like him at all. Not even now after six years of cohabitation. Really? Oh no, yes, that's a lot tricky. <laughs> Antagonistic cats. Yeah, we've only got one cat. Stephanie Yoda Frankenstein. I'm still blown away, but well, as in Yoda, Star Wars Yoda, or yes, and she looks like Yoda. Oh, she oh, a lot. Amazing. Yeah, with the ears and the. <laughs> yeah. Is she as yeah. wise as Yoda though? Look like Yoda, she does. <laughs> 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 yeah and uh, i do have a daughter she's uh, 32 she's an actress in the national theater in bucharest oh, and fantastic. she's also doing the movies actually this sunday we will go to constanza it's a town on the seaside there will be the uh premiere of her new uh, movie wow do you awesome. have to wear a posh dress then Yes. 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 Wow. Yeah. That that's amazing. And I guess when you've got an, a a a daughter who's acting, that's really a fantastic resource, isn't it, for an author? Because one of the best pieces of advice I've ever seen is actually to approach writing characters and creating characters as if you were an actor. Um, yeah. And and thinking in in those terms, and, and then you you know it, it's a great prism for creating characters. So that must be, is that something you draw on? You know, the, do you do you share your work with your daughter? Do you ring her up and say, "I need some advice on how to"? Um, I do actually. It, it's uh, it's how I also write, being all my characters somehow because. Mm. Uh, I, I, I'm also the, the good ones and I'm also the bad ones because I'm writing all of them, of course. And uh, I do ask her for, for um, yeah, for advice or from, uh, because I, I tell her, I'm thinking to, to do this and the character will do that. Uh, what do you think? And of course, she's she's giving me some 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 of her thoughts and i'm also doing this with uh, with my editor with bogdan hrib he's also mm. a writer yeah and uh, we have this very special uh, collaboration because uh, for example gigi has a very um, has a life partner and uh, gigi alexa the main character yes mm. and uh, I was a little bit, uh, how can I say, bored by him. He's also, he's a, a chief inspector. And uh, I told my editor that I want to to kill him. I want to get rid of him. <laughs> because... And he said, no, no, you can't do that. No, because he has a lot of fans. There are so many people loving him. You you can't do something like this. Oh no. Mm, okay. And uh, I I really understood his point. And uh, Matej is uh, is safe and well, so it's okay. Oh, I'm sure he's he's very pleased. He's still alive. Saved by the editor. I love that. They just get upset, don't they? If they don't like something you've done in the book, they will say, "Why did you do that? How dare you?" Yeah. 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 
But that's a big responsibility, isn't it? I mean, once you get a fan base and you know readers, you've got to consider their. I mean, it's it's tempting to write to what they want, uh, and that's limiting the freedom of your creativity. So that's a that's an extra pressure, isn't it? Uh, the only the only uh, how can I say the only reason that I do something that, for example, my editor is telling me uh, is that. Uh, he's giving me uh, a lot of reasons about the plot. And, you know, the plot has to be uh, somehow true to the life itself in the novel. Mm. So there is the, the truth of the plot. And if he gives me something, how can I say? If he can give me something truer <laughs> then the plot I'm thinking and he says no because you uh, Mate will survive and he will leave and he will do and uh, ah okay interesting mm. but otherwise uh, otherwise I- I'm not taking into consideration the demands of 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 the of the public because and I'm telling them you know it's l- like life itself life is happening and you can't do anything. That's true. You can't. You can't keep everything like... safe in life. Yeah. That's if true. The reveals, if the story reveals like this, this is the story, and you can't do anything. So I sense. Do you, do you set out with a plot, or is it more organic? You you have an idea and you develop it. I. Know what the destination? How can I say? I yes, know yeah. what happened and why did that happen? And from there, so it's it, it's it's a story. It's a story itself. And then I start to to imagine all the the stages of the plot uh and uh i really start to see the characters and then i start to i i start to read i uh, sorry i start to i start to write mm. and when i'm start when i start to write i also have uh beside me all my notes about the characters about the the scenery about the plots and and things like that mm-hmm. oh that's brilliant absolutely brilliant well i know what you're gonna say now <laughs> it is time okay <laughs> for rebecca's random question Okay, so this question came to me just before the podcast, and I don't know why. I don't know where it came from. It's a very strange question. (laughs) You know how uh, humans ride horses and sometimes donkeys? I want to know what animal you'd like to ride that we don't currently ride on. So for me, I'll give you my answer first. Mine would be a giraffe. I would love to ride a giraffe. (laughs) So I want to know what animal would you choose? (laughs) Wow, that's a very interesting question. That's a very interesting because my first thought is, oh, there are so many animals, but I have to think to an animal 
and not to harm that animal. Because the first things, the first thing was a memory from my childhood when I was riding a pig. Oh, wow. Wow, okay. <laughs> but only for, I don't know, some meters. I was with my cousin in my... Um, in in my grandparents' um, uh, town, which is Constanza at the seaside, yes, and uh, uh, we were together in a in the back backyard of a neighbor, and there were some pigs. And I said, I want to ride a pig. <laughs> uh, I think I was about five or six years old. And it was only for, it was a smaller one and it was only for some meters. I don't know exactly why did I do it. Uh, sorry. So, um, and now if you ask me, uh, I think I would really love to ride a dolphin. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking I, that I, way. I don't know if I'm allowed to, but if you ask me, yeah. I think people do ride dolphins, don't they? Well, they do. I mean, they, well. In... Yeah, they kind of hold onto the fin and swim along. Well, I, there's been obviously shows at various aquaria around yeah. the world where they used to do this as a regular thing and it's now frowned upon. But I know how, what you mean. I mean, I, I have um, had the privilege of swimming with friendly dolphins uh, in Australia, and it was an amazing experience. It really was. Um, they came in. This is a place called Monkey Mere, which is on the far western point of Australia. You have to go about, I don't know, about a thousand kilometers from Perth to get to this place. And they come in at three o'clock at regular as clockwork every day, three o'clock, they would come into the same beach and interact with the humans. Just amazing. But what would your animal be then? That no, would be a dolphin. Oh, yeah. dolphin! Yeah, yeah, it's got to be something you haven't done. Well, I haven't ridden a dolphin. Oh. <laughs> I've swum with it. I mean, you know, I've been in the water and petted it and and interacted and. But you've played. never ridden a horse, have you? No, no, no. no. I've ridden, it... an, ridden an elephant and a, and a camel. Oh yeah, people do do that, don't they? But I've never ridden a. I, I, if if I was to pick one. One of the cows in our neighbouring fields. I'd ride a cow. You'd ride a cow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. What about you, love? Me? I said giraffe. Oh, you said giraffe. Yeah. Course, yes. I do apologise. Or a unicorn with wings. Oh, he did Oh, yes. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we're really getting yeah. to it. <laughs> or, if not a dolphin, a sea lion. Mm. Yes, yes, indeed. Although I've always liked walruses for some reason. You could hold on to the tusks. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, look, this is one of our bizarre... Way... They are random. Uh, they are totally random. And we brought randomness to Romania, which is... Oh, that has a I ring to it. In, in many ways, is a great cultural exchange. And I think the start of something beautiful. So, And I'm going to get my passport renewed and I'm going to go there. So we'll meet you for coffee in the square. <laughs> Yes, yes, please come. I'll be waiting for you. I can show you around. You'll We'd love, love to come. We'd love to come. It looks absolutely stunning. And now I've looked at the sign. You're absolutely right. Oh, it looks the, like the Hollywood. The... Brashoff looks like Hollywood, <laughs> but greener, yeah, yeah. a lot greener than those Hollywood hills. 
Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, I'd actually yeah. rather go to go there than Hollywood. Oh, well, Hollywood doesn't no appeal particularly. No, no, I mean I absolutely <laughs> agree. Uh, it's it's on the it's on the bucket list now, and um, yeah, we'll we'll bring that forward. But uh, Tony, look, it's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you, and we wish you every success with Deadly Autumn Harvest in English and all oh, your other and books. The subsequent seasons. <laughs> yes, indeed. And and uh, if people want to uh, follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter, uh, TonyMott underscore, and I'm also on uh, Instagram mostly. So uh, Twitter only recently uh, because uh, yeah, it's it and it's only for my my uh, book audience, and uh, I'm playing also on on Instagram Fantastic. a lot. Well, thank you for joining us. It really has been one of those special interviews. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we've got quite a European tour developing of people who've uh, kindly offered to um, show us around their hometowns. Yeah, we've been... I know, I know. In fact, we could do one of those um, Victorian tours. Grand tour, Grand yeah. Grand tour, yeah. Um, if we wanted to. We, I think we need to find a Tuscan author. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay, we'll make a list and uh, invite them onto the podcast. Uh, so thank you so much to Tony for joining us. Next week's guest is a... Rick- in a returning guest actually uh we had such a wonderful conversation with him uh a few months ago it's a him That's it's a, a him it's greg moss returning to us uh on the eve of the publication of his first cozy crime novel is it really i didn't know that i think it's his first yeah no i didn't know it was the eve of i think it's on the eve too but um <laughs> not quite the eve i mean not literally but very close to the publication date of his next novel oh okay i didn't know that Right. No, it'll be wonderful. Now, as you'll remember, Greg is, um, a, 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 well, he's married to Kate Moss for one thing, but is a giant in his own right in terms of developing new writing talent and has written, one, for me, probably the best single book on how to write fiction that's been written. It's really quick as well. It's a quick read. It's not long. Um, it was uh, written for Guardian Books and it is superb yes i've got it on my kindle app on my phone as well. so look out for next week's interview because it it will be absolutely dripping with fabulous advice and he's a great guy so we're looking forward to speaking to greg now this week we have had a very significant week you'll remember that on thursday across the uk a-level students etc were getting their results they did that included my son james and i'm delighted to say that he got what he needed to go to his first choice university, Cardiff. He's going to Cardiff University to study geography and planning. And to be honest, he had to work so hard for each of those grades. And obviously there was a squeeze on grades this year as well to try and bring them down to pandemic levels. So um, I can't say I approached Thursday morning with a great deal of confidence, but he called me just as I was about to arrive close to his school so that I could join him when he got his results. He'd uh, already had the email from Cardiff offering him his place so we could relax. And I just immediately burst into tears. I was so proud. It's, uh, you know, I didn't meet, didn't feel it the same way with my first and older son, Ben, mainly because Ben's one of these kids who can turn his hand to anything, really. Mm. Whereas James has to graft. James worked very, very hard, didn't he? He did. He deserved it. And your middle son, Josh, is celebrating an A. Uh, yeah so as level so his school at the end of lower six they all have to take an as level 
which they can continue to an A-level or do what's called the EPQ. And so he did art, he chose art, he got an A, and he's going to carry on for the A-level as well. So he's very happy. That's fantastic. Well, we are proud co-parents of various boys. <laughs> uh, we really are. Um, that was That was a really big deal. Now, I did promise that we would do some trampolining this week. Discretion, better part of valour. It's very hard to find a trampoline strong enough to take someone of my build, plus you two. Oh, you're inviting you two on the podcast? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> that would have been last year, wouldn't it, when Bono brought his memoir out. But um, got that word wrong. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah so we, we haven't done it. You, you, you were very keen, and you were even talking about going to... Um, is it called Zip It? Zop It? No, Flip Out. Flip Out, which is a place in um, Stone, not far from us, where you can um, jump on trampolines. But they have pounding music. It would have been impossible to present a good show. Yeah, so we ruled that out. And then you were thinking about buying a trampoline. And then you, I said, oh, no, you can't buy a trampoline just for the podcast. And you said, but it's great for tennis fitness. Yes, it is. It is. Um we had uh, we had one session of tennis this week, which was terrible. See, it was terrible. We were shamefully bad, and I don't know what was wrong with the pair of us. But we just couldn't play. We simple just couldn't as that. do it. I was mistiming the ball. It was awful. We were going to talk about something else, and I've completely escaped my mind. We were going to talk about somebody who'd been watching on TV this week. Ah, yes, the Tom Kerridge. Mr. Tom Kerridge. Tom Kerridge, um, for those who uh, don't know, is a multi... Well, I don't know how many Michelin stars. He's certainly got two for the Hand in Flowers in Marlowe. I've had the privilege of eating there once, many, many years ago. Um, but he's a restaurateur and a TV chef. and We've got some of his cookbooks. Yeah, they're really good cookbooks, by the way, if it's, you know... Fantastic. But the thing about Tom Kerridge uh, is that he's been doing a series on BBC Two which looks at the wider catering industry and the issues within the hospitality industry. Yeah, so it's basically about um, the struggle of these this type of businesses because of cost of living issues and energy prices. And, and Brexit. And, of course, good old Brexit too. So the, the element with Brexit is particularly hard for staffing because 400,000 people have left the industry and they can't get people in from Europe to. to I know, replace and them. and that you know, I don't think people know about that, do they? Well, I think they do, but they don't. They choose not to, <laughs> to care. But yes, that's a big and issue. That is a big issue. Uh, at costs, particularly for um, you know, all foods have gone up, so ingredient costs. But then there was this one um, element of this week's program which was startling: was the increase in his energy costs. So. His contract had ended with, with with whichever supplier, and it's 14p a unit previously in his business, and it was going up to 94 pence a unit of energy. Yeah. I mean, staggering. Then insurance was going up, doubling the insurance costs of running his businesses. So no wonder everything has gone shooting up in that in that regard. But there was also another element which was about uh, another business, um, down in uh, near Bristol. Yes. Uh, it was a brother and sister running... Was it something like the cat and no, something? The, no, 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 no. It, Pigeon? Uh, no, <laughs> no. Um, I'll try and remember what the name of the, the restaurant is, but it's not those. Um, but uh, they have several businesses, uh, but they, their main one, the one that had won a Michelin star in the past, they were reimagining and trying to do, 
And they basically, on four occasions that year, had run out of money. Yeah. Uh, in the business, and they were having to do sort of special events just to get enough cash to get to the next month, if you like. And that spoke to us, didn't it? Absolutely, Be- yeah, because we were often taking on more freelance projects for the same reason. Absolutely. I mean, let's be perfectly honest about it. The, the freelance projects mean that we can still eat, but it also uh, 85% of my narration earnings this year have gone into Hobeck to keep it going. That's the, the nature of it. And it really spoke to us that it's a similar situation. Yeah, it, 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 it was one of those things where it was reassuring in a way that it's not just us and that other industries are having, and other people, other individuals are living the life that we are at the moment. Mm. Um, um, and I think the other thing that, that, I mean, they carried on and they just kept kept going. And that was kind of inspirational in the sense that, um, you know, there are occasions when you think, well, is any of this worth it? And if you just keep moving forward the best you can, eventually things will improve, hopefully. The hope, yes. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, you know, it, not feeling alone in those being a small business. Yes. I got momentarily distracted there because the cat fell over. I don't know if you saw. She was licking. <laughs> she was what, licking she was... part of herself. And you know how they curl round? And then she lost balance and toppled backwards. Right. Well, that yeah, I missed the moment of comedy, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> the name of the pub, which is... It's not uh, the cat and pigeon, then. No, it's not. It's the pony. Oh, I knew it was an animal. It's in the Chew Valley. And, um, yeah, it's quite something. Well, if ever we open a pub, let's call it the cat and pigeon. <laughs> OK. <laughs> we'll serve both on the menu. No. No, neither. Mm. You're no fun. No, and and meat will be cooked properly. Absolutely. <laughs> right, well, week ahead, uh, I'm finishing Waking the Tiger by Mark Whiteman. As a, a no, narration. Chasing the Dragon. Chasing, sorry, Chasing the Dragon. I've done Waking <laughs> the Tiger already. Yeah. Some years ago. Um, I'm so close to finishing now anyway. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's it's a good day session and then, and then that's recorded, but the, all the other stuff to do, the, you know, tidying up the edits and all that stuff. And checking. So that's nearly done. Mm-hmm. We've got the kids back here. We've had a kid-free week. Yes. They're back so here. they're back. Um, and you're starting some new freelance project. Well, yes, and I, th- I think I'm allowed to uh, talk about this. So I'm, um, I've am i got a sort of set amount of work per week working for um, Rachel McLean um, and her company at Croyd Publishing. So it's it, I think the job role is publishing coordinator. So it's it's not dissimilar to the sorts of things I've been doing for Hobeck and then also for um, OUP and to some degree other publishers as well. But for her and for all her publishing work. So I'm very, whoops, I'm very excited about that. Yes, it's fantastic. Um, and that will be work with, the well, arguably the UK's most successful ebook uh, first author. Yes. Indie yeah, author. yeah, yeah. So, um which is terrific um, and, you know, um, is huge um, benefit to, to the whole thing. But, you know, you'll learn a lot from that and I'm sure some of that will creep through into what we talk about on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be interesting. And, and she's got a good team together ready. You know, she's, she's, she already employs um, some other people to help her with various aspects of her business. And um, mm. so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it will be fantastic and you'll be great at it. 
<laughs> I don't know if, if Rachel listens to this, but I am nervous. <laughs> I am. And whenever I start anything new, I do get the nerves and the imposter sure, syndrome. Sure, absolutely. Um, but I, I just, and sometimes that fuels you, doesn't it? When you, when you feel like that, that actually fuels you. Well, to... it's the old thing, and I have mentioned this on the podcast before. But David Bowie used to say that you know, being creative and doing something worthwhile was when you felt you were in a swimming pool and your toes only just touch the bottom that's the sort of position you want that's to be interesting because i do feel like that yeah, yeah, yeah i absolutely. do I don't, yeah that's understandable new job new role mm. um new personality to um to contribute towards you know in terms of her business and her vision and it's it's very inspiring so um congratulations to you and to uh to rachel i think you've done <laughs> she's made a really good choice as well <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> really have. Um, so that's that's the week ahead. Um, this time next week, when we record the podcast, I will actually have to record it a little earlier because I'll be going to a massive wrestling show in Wembley Stadium. Humph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, up in the gods. Um, what does that mean, up in the gods? In the clouds? Well, the very top row, I think, of the oh. entire Wembley Stadium. But um, it'd be fascinating because this is the biggest wrestling show in the history of Britain. Well, rather you than me. I know. Not your thing. But um, it is my uh, sort of uh, hidden shame. And um, it is what uh, I have in common with my younger brother, uh, younger son, rather, uh, James. But um, the other thing I wanted to, to mention is uh, I tweeted about today and I was being really cantankerous. What is it about coverage of the Women's World oh, Cup? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I have to bring it up. Go on, then. Well, they just kept talking about belief everybody just i mean if you if you were doing a drinking game of how many times can the commentate commentary team the analyst panel and gabby logan mentioned belief well give me an example of a sentence because out of context well you know so at half time they were saying well that's saved from mary earps it was a penalty save whatever that will uh give the team belief and they'll emerge from the second into the second half with the belief that they can do it you know they've shown it in the mat in previous matches. That so they're belief- substituting belief for hope, kind of. Well, no, I think what it is is actually a substitute. It's, it's, it carries so many different things. But, but this is where I think the genesis of this came from. In 2012, after the Olympics in London, BBC Sport, uh, what they used the money from the release of the official DVD, which made a load of money mm. in 2012, to do this project called Get Inspired, which was all about getting people to to participate in sport. Very yes. worthy, but it was definitely aimed at trying... That was BBC Sport's big contribution to keeping the licence fee, right? Yes. But then around all of that, everyone's language changed around sport. It was no longer about performance tactics, analysis, you know, the proper analysis of what's going on on the field. Mm-hmm. It became about how... You, Every sport had to inspire the next generation or kids. to, And all we heard after the match today was that the England players can be very proud of the number of girls and young boys who will be inspired to play football. And I just, it's a substitute for actual insight, wisdom, analysis. Oh, I, okay. For, you know, because it's just a platitude and it's, it's no more substantial than... Um, you know, someone having something on the wall hanging saying Prosecco time or gin o'clock or, you know, yeah, so, any, all of that. So like those, um, you see them on social media all the time, don't you? Mm. Um, 
Mm. Yeah, platitudes is the right word. Yeah. So are you saying that they're unable to analyse the game? So to There was very little analysis of the game. It was a lot about, you know, they can come out with the energy and the belief that they can do it. And actually what we needed to find out was what elements of the England game needed to be fixed to beat Spain. And there was none of that. Mm. It, it, it just always goes back to, well, they've inspired a generation, so that's all right then. Well, I'm not sure the England players have, you know, you can dine out on that. Um, well, it doesn't help them. No, but it, I mean, actually, for me, looking back over my career in BBC Sport, I just became very tired of the fact that, you know, things were being commissioned editorially based on their inspiration factor as opposed to their sporting merit. Um, and I just think it's a bit lazy. It's become a cliche. And uh it's it's too easy for i mean you know one of the things this world cup will do allegedly is make women's football particularly uh, a mainstream sport mm -hmm. and taken more seriously and and indeed the the football quality has been a lot better than, than hitherto and 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 it deserves to be taken seriously but if you are always judging things on the belief factor rather than the technical skill element the physical ability of the teams that sort of thing um as you would with a men's team do you know what actually i feel i'm starting to feel a bit insulted by their commentary as mm. a fe as a female mm. if that's all they can think of that's all they banged on about. And they actually, I will say there was an honourable exception on the BBC. I don't know what the ITV coverage, I didn't watch it. But they went to their touchline former player who just who ripped into England's performance compared to Spain's and actually talked about how the match was played as opposed to they can take credit for this and come away feeling, you know. It's a bit patronising, isn't it? Is, it is. It's, it's just, but it's, it, it's so part of the, everything is about, inspiration and belief and emptiness you know uh there was a big movement not so long ago this girl can oh yeah <laughs> right hashtag you know and all of that stuff and it's just rather tiresome when you're talking about senior international football that should just be part of this you know cover the sport not mm. not the aspiration not no. the not the motivation stuff I mean, I'd really, really be surprised if, you know, tens of thousands of little girls and little boys are actually going to take up football because of this. Well, I really I really do. Well, yeah, well, if they do, it's because they watched it and they had their own thoughts about it, not because they listened to the but commentary. But statistically, 2012 did not increase participation in sports in anything like the factor mm. that people anticipated. I mean, Great Britain and London won those games based on legacy of people taking up sport and facilities being left behind. Mm -hmm. None of which really has happened, frankly, um, realistically, because a lot of it's been taken down again. And part participation only went up slightly, but has now below levels it was in 2012. So you can't tell me, you know, you can trot, trot out this these platitudes all you like, but it's 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 nonsense. I know I'm dragging on here, and, and really we should have wrapped up the show now. But I wanted to get that off my chest. No, and it's an important because talking about a book show, the power of words. You know, it's become empty. 
to talk about belief. No, I, I, I see. I didn't because I could hear you. We were cleaning the house while you were watching the football mm. on your phone. So you had your phone with you, and you were sort of moving the phone around mm-hmm, as you clean right. the house. And all I could hear, every I could hear you saying, "Oh, for God's sake!" And I was thinking, "What? What? What is it?" And it was I, I, you, I, I, you were t- reacting to the next week. I shall have gone through the coverage, and I shall note down how many times belief was trotted out yeah. in, in the tuna bit hours of the match, and then the aftermath. <laughs> Because it felt like it was every minute. But at the time, I, I, I just, you know, sort of slightly rolling my eyes at you. But now you've explained it, I'm on your side. Even even the post-match interview with the first of the players, the captain of England, the second question was, um, you know, did you emerge from the second into the second half with more belief? Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess we, you know, we, we've always got belief. And it's like, for goodness sakes, you know, that is just lame. Mm-hmm. It is. It's pure and simple lame, you know. Ask some something more pertinent and and uh, and, and intelligent and intelligent. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we leave it there. Uh, so, Greg Moss, our guest next week, we'll be back, probably with more gripes about sports coverage, um, but uh, hope not. I right. hope. Yeah, we'll have something else to gripe. About. Yeah, we'll certainly be griping about something. This is the nature of the Hopcast book show, after all. <laughs> the gripe show. <laughs> Don't forget to go to our website, www.hobeck.net or archpub.net for more details about our uh, publishing services element. And uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you next week. I've been Adrian Hobart. I've been Rebecca Collins. And this is the Hobcast Book Show. Please subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from and have a wonderful and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.